are listening to a message from Westside Christian Church, located in the heart of Wichita, Kansas. We hope this teaching helps you to join Jesus and bring life. We would love to hear your story. Email us at hello at westsidechristian.org to share what God is doing in your life. Oh man, I, I want to say thank you for the opportunity to be here with you today. Uh, it, is, it is an honor to, to be here with Westside. Um, and, and I thought about this. It's even more than an honor because I'm so excited to share with you about God's timing. It's not just an honor to be here. It's a God thing that I would be here. Um, not because I'm anyone special or anything like that. But I would just love to share with you a little bit about how we arrived to this day, even back from eight years ago. It may, not, it may not feel this way right now, but what God is doing both in this area and in his kingdom, I am incredibly excited about, like passionate about. I'm passionate about what God is doing in Wichita, and I love the way that I see him doing it. Do you get passionate about what's going on in Wichita spiritually? that we have an opportunity to help continue to shape the spiritual landscape of a great city like Wichita. About a year ago, Nicole and I had finished a a church planting assessment a little over a year ago with Stadia. They're a church planting organization that meets across the country and even internationally. And when we got home from that church planting assessment, a church planting assessment is basically where they bring you in and they talk to you about, uh, they look under the rocks of your life, they, they kind of poke and prod at you to figure out, are you church planting material? And then at the end, they either say, you are or you're not. Good luck. And, and at the time, I was like, it's a blessing. They thought that we were. But really, now I'm like, man, it's the craziest season of my life trying to start something, trying to get something off the ground, trying to get something going that doesn't exist, right? Because the main question we get over and over, oh, you're starting a church, where do you guys meet? I say, well, we meet every other week, we meet in a little coffee shop, but we don't really meet like you think about meeting a church would. Because we're focused on building community connections and all those kinds of things. But when we got back from that church planting assessment, then different questions began to come our way. The question was, where will you plant this church? And for a full year, I promise you, and my wife will testify to this, we didn't have peace about where we were going to go. We knew that we were going to go into, into Wichita, right? We'd been at Riverlawn for about eight years, and we knew that we were going to plant in Wichita. That was behind, that was some of what Riverlawn's heart was, too, to plant churches in the Wichita area. But when you kind of, when you kind of look in just one area, it's tough to figure out what neighborhood. And so we thought about every area you could possibly think of in Wichita. We thought about West Wichita, South Wichita, East Wichita, North Wichita. Did I just cover everything? We thought of every place you could possibly go. And there'd be mornings I'd be getting ready, and I would tell Nicole, I think we should go here, and I'd be excited about it. And she'd say, nah, not feeling it. And then there'd be mornings she'd be excited about going to a certain place, and I'd be saying, no, I'm not really feeling it. We couldn't find this agreeable place, this agreeable area where we would say, man, that's where we're going to go. We didn't feel any conviction behind it. And when you don't know where you're going in the first, you know, three months, but you've still got a couple years before you start a new church, it's okay. People give you a lot of grace. 
But when you get closer and closer to the time where you're asking people to come with you, to recruit people to come with you on this journey, that question becomes more like, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. So insecurities and doubt and fear start to build up in you big time. That's why I say it's a God thing that we're here. Because last November, I got a phone call from our elders. And they said, Travis, we got some information from Westside about them asking for some help. And I said, okay, well, what's, what's that have to do with us? Well, take a look at the neighborhood. Take a look at, at, at the area where, where Westside is. And so from that phone call, there was a lot of different conversations that happened, but one thing happened for sure. God put a spotlight on the Delano neighborhood for us. Like that phone call for us about some difficulty and some tough decisions ahead for Westside was a call of hope for us. Because all of a sudden, we started to look at a neighborhood we hadn't looked at yet, and we said, holy cow. That's not what you're supposed to say, right? We said, let's, let's keep looking here. We started doing some demographic study and talking with Brady and his wife, Nicole. and every, It just seemed to come together so well that, you know what? This is where we need to come and start something new. This is where we want to come and start something different. This is where we want to come and reach a neighborhood. And the city that you all know way better than me isn't an easy place to do that. But isn't it a great neighborhood? Isn't it filled with great people? And isn't it a great time to begin that and to do something new? And so I want to say, like, it's a God thing of what's happening with Westside. It's not a man-made thing. It's not a planned thing that we're just saying, man, this is the best strategy. You know, this is, we've got two options, we've got three options, and this is the best thing we can come up with. Like, from the bottom of my heart, I believe what's going on with Westside and and the Riverlawn adoption or wherever you choose to go to church, uh, what's happening in this neighborhood, what's happening at Riverlawn is a complete God thing. It's a kingdom thing. It's a bigger than us thing. It's bigger than the district church. It's bigger than Westside Christian Church. It's bigger than Riverlawn Christian Church. And if even you mash all those churches up together, it's way bigger than those three. Because it's the kingdom of God. And I think sometimes when you go to church, you forget that the kingdom doesn't exist for your church. The church exists for the kingdom. The kingdom advances. But I love the way that the kingdom advances, right? The kingdom doesn't advance by taking territory like wars and things like that that we do in in, in the man-made side of things. Kingdom advancement isn't about taking territory when it comes to God. Kingdom advancement is about giving people an inheritance who didn't have an inheritance. Isn't that a beautiful thing? We're going to expand the kingdom. How are you going to do that? We're going to go give people an inheritance they didn't know they had. How are you going to do that? By the blood of Jesus. Uh, Listen, that's oversimplification. It's not that easy. You know that. But the application and the source of everything we do as the district church is from that heartbeat to see the kingdom advanced. And so first and foremost, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being a church that plants churches. 
Thank you for being a church that saw the kingdom impact. And I want to get even personal with you because here's, here's the God thing that's happening as well. I found out that Brady and I, our dad, was baptized in this church. And guess what? Okay, Not, not to step on Westsider's toes, but he wasn't a part of Westside Christian Church. He was actually, he remembers meeting with his parents and like four or five other of their neighbors. Westside let them meet in their basement so that they could start a church in their neighborhood. He used to live on Estelle Street. And he was baptized here because Westside knew the kingdom is bigger than them. So you reached out to my family, to my granddad, to my dad, and the kingdom advanced. What a beautiful thing. Because it wasn't about it wasn't about you. And that's awesome when we can get to that kind of a place. My granddad worked here for a number of years. He was a locksmith at USD 259. So if you were a school teacher uh, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, you probably knew him because I think he unlocked and had all the keys to every door in the district. His name was Calvin Roberts. We'd go to his house and in his garage, I mean, keys for days. Uh, he would, like, if we were going to get a, a, a present or something like that, usually he'd make it with his own hands. He was, he was just, and he was a good, good man. I mean, Brady and I are in ministry today because my granddad did ministry without being full-time vocationally. My dad got into ministry from that. He's a full-time, he's a lead pastor up at First Christian Church in Junction City, Kansas, where Brady and I grew up. But I say that because you guys have an incredible legacy but that legacy is because you kept your eyes on the kingdom and the difference that you could make there. So, again, just wanted to say thank you. And I wanted to reiter- I want to reiterate this again, that this is a God thing, what's happening. I don't think, from God's perspective, this is an accident. I don't think something got out of whack and God was like, oh, no, what do we do? I believe in the sovereignty of God, which means I believe in the sovereign plan of God, and I, and I believe this is a God thing. And if we keep our eyes on the kingdom, on the advancement of the kingdom, on the deep grace of the gospel, man, we will continue to change the spiritual landscape of Wichita. So let me tell you where some of my excitement comes from. We're going to be in two texts today. One is Acts 13, 1 through 3, and the other is Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. I may go through these kind of quickly, but man, this is so good. When we talk about multiplication, when we talk about being a multiplying people, a multiplying church, here's, what we want to, here's where we want to land. Um, I believe as, as the apostles are going out and they're advancing the kingdom by planting churches in the first century, they had this incredible, insatiable itch for starting new things. And here's how I know uh, that that was. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 3, it says this, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, five to be exact, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who was a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, he had some political clout, and Saul, who we lovingly refer to as Paul. While they were worshiping and fasting, 
Isn't it interesting how when you worship, like sometimes today we're like, when I go into worship, I'm going to get my soy latte and I'm going to have my bagel because I'm going to be comfortable while I worship. When they're worshiping, while worshiping and fasting, they were committed to where God was leading while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Hold on. Hold on. To make Antioch church a big church to grow its seating capacity to stadium size, we've got a pretty good recipe. We've got five really good teachers. Barnabas and Lucius and Menaean and Saul. We've, we've got a lot of guys that can just get up here and just, just if, I'm, if I'm speaking to you honestly, like no one can hold a candle to how these guys can bring the word. But what are you saying, Holy Spirit? Like for us to get big, you want us to send out? And surely, I, mean, I don't want to rank these guys, but let's rank them, Okay. Wouldn't Barnabas and Paul be one and two? I mean, wouldn't you say Paul, probably one of the greatest teachers in church history. And then Barnabas right after him. If I've got a great teacher, number one, I'm going to put our best encourager, number two. You see Barnabas walking in church, you know you're going to get a good word from him. I'm having a bad day, I want to talk to Barnabas. I need some theological kind of correction, I'm going to talk to Paul. So Holy Spirit, you're telling us to send Barnabas and Paul away for how long? Forever? To do what? To plant churches? To advance the kingdom? Oh, but what about our church at Antioch? What's going to happen? Like, I love Paul. I don't know if I'll come to church because Paul's not here. But they got something that day. They got something. That the kingdom is always about going. The kingdom is about advancing into people's lives, into people's hearts. It's about being on mission. And it's constantly saying, how can we take this gospel to the person that doesn't know, to that lost person who thinks there's no hope, there's no purpose, there's no reason for existence, or to that person that thinks everything's going fine, but they think there's just a little piece that's off in life. People are around us all the time we have a great opportunity to be just like that church in Antioch that was committed more to its sending capacity than its seating capacity. It said, man, I'm not impressed when I walk into huge auditoriums. What I'm impressed with is how many really good leaders have you sent off? How many people have you challenged to say, I love it how you're growing here, but it's time to go? See, I don't think that's just for mission-minded churches. I think that's the goal for churches, every church. There's a pastor uh, in Northern Ireland who was, who was quoted as saying that the church doesn't have a mission. The mission of God has a church. Those are two incredibly different things. The church, when you gather together, it's not like you gather the church together and then you figure out the mission. 
It's actually, there's a mission of God. It exists. He is passionate about it. He's been passionate about it from the beginning of time. It's what he built the Israelite people for. What was one of the main reasons he builds up the Israelite nation? It wasn't to just be a nation. It was to bless the world. And they forgot it. Pretty soon that happens in our own lives, in our own theology, in our own beliefs. There is the mission of God, and it has a church. Because it's the harbor in which we find rest, comfort, encouragement, and challenge. But the church should never stop when it comes to the mission of God. And the church never creates the mission. The church exists because there is a mission. It's a beautiful thing. But but if we go even deeper into why Paul and Barnabas were committed to such multiplication... We can read Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. From from Paul's pen, here's what he says. It's, It's a glimpse into how much he understood God's love and how deeply the the gospel had affected him. It says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, whatever you're asking God, he's in the business of doing far more abundantly if it's in line with his kingdom and his will. He does far more abundantly than you ask. You could never ask too much. God's never going to say, bring that back. He's always going to do more than you ask when we're in line with his will. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. When Paul says amen, it's not an amen, let's open our eyes. It's like amen, brother. Let's hear more. Amen. But here's what I love when Paul describes. Here's what I love when he put, when he, when, when, what he puts down here. Paul didn't just know about a relationship with God. He had a relationship with God. You feel me? It wasn't just... A th- an intellectual understanding of what a relationship God might look with God might look like. It wasn't like, I know that you're supposed to read your Bible and pray and go to church, do all that kind of thing. No, he had a deep relationship with God so much that he describes that relationship with God to his peers by saying, I hope that you have the strength to comprehend the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of Christ's love. I hope you have the strength because you realize what he's saying? I hope you're strong enough. I hope God gives you strength enough to even comprehend. That means begin to understand how much Christ loves you. Are you like me? Well, that's the main question in your life. Do you love me? Paul's like, no, no, you don't get it. Here's the thing. Like, yes, he loves you. 
And I hope you have the strength to comprehend how much. And the way that he loves us, I believe, is he invites us to do really, from our vantage point, difficult things. You know what I mean? Like as a dad with my little girls, I like to invite them to do really hard things. I think it's funny. My wife doesn't like it. Right? When they want me to throw them in the air, I'm going to throw them 10 feet. And Nicole's going to say, man, getting a little too high. She'd say that about two feet. But once we get to 10 feet, you know. But I like to see when they do things that are kind of hard. Like when we go to the McDonald's play place, London, she's our older one. Like Emma just, she's all over the place. But London, it's hard. She gets scared. She gets scared in the little tunnels. But I like to to see the joy on her face when she makes it through the tunnel eventually and after blood-curdling screams. And I'm sending other strange, I'm sorry, I don't know you. Can you go get my daughter? But I love the joy on her face when she finally finds the slide and slides down. You know what she tells me? She doesn't say, Daddy, I'm never doing that again. You know what she says? I'm going again! And she takes off. To go get lost and cry again. <laughs> but, it, but, it's a, but it's a joy like I can't even describe when I see my daughter do something hard. I know she can do. She's never done it. But when she does it, she accomplishes it. I love to see her joy. I think God loves that with us too. And I think that's why he's not shy from asking us to do difficult things. Because I think it comes with a ton of joy and so much love. And that's the kind of thing we're compelled to go and do. We're compelled to start new churches. Not one church, mind you. We don't want to start the district church and put a period on it. That's not our amen moment. We want to start churches in Wichita, in Kansas, in our country, and throughout the world. Like, I'm wholly committed to planting churches, seeing Groups of people begin to meet because they understand the mission of God is huge. And they understand that not one person can do it by themselves. So that's why we recruit a team of people. That's why we're passionate about this area. And that's why it's so much fun to say, man, we're going to go out with the gospel as our weapon to go and tell people, bring people, and live life with people with people who don't know how to comprehend how good his love is. That's what we want to do. Let me connect the dots for you a a, a little bit um, as we've gotten way underway. But who is doing this? It's me and my wife, Nicole, uh, and our family. There's a picture on the screen here of us. Um, That's London, who's on my shoulder, and Emma, who's on Nicole's shoulder. They don't know that they're planting a church yet, so they didn't have a choice. They're our only forced members of the church, okay? (laughs) Uh, And then my brother Brady and his wife Nicole are are with us as well. Brady and I are lead planter and lead planter. You say that's kind of funny and how does that work? Uh, Our focuses are a little bit different. If you'd say who's the lead pastor, I would be that guy. 
The co-planter is Brady, and Brady focuses on our community impact, specifically which we'll talk about in just a second. But he's come from Carthage, Missouri, where he was a youth pastor at Fairview Christian Church for six years, longer. He says about six, so that's fair. Uh, and, and so he comes to plant a church. He and his, his wife, Nicole, also went through the Stadia assessment process. Nicole has been, uh, grew up at Riverlawn. Um, her, her parents, uh, her, her father's actually an, an elder there. Um, you should ask Brady and Nicole how they got together. It's a great story. It involves Nicole and I as well. And here's something else. Just easy for you to remember our names. I'm married to Nicole Ann Roberts. Brady is married to Nicole Ann Roberts. Good, good for that? You guys, you guys remember her name, okay? Um, but, and I explained, um, Nicole and I specifically got into church planting because about seven years ago, when, or, or about five years ago, no, close to six, anyways, some years ago, we wanted to go to Japan to plant a church with some friends of ours who were over in uh, um, Osaka, and Nagoya, Japan, planting churches. We went over there, and we found out we weren't ready. So we came back, and we took a different position at Riverlawn, which was the discipleship pastor position about creating small groups and areas for people to meet. But the, the passion in our hearts was still for planting. So cut to about four years later, that's when Riverlawn started to say, Travis, would you and Nicole kind of go out on this, go out on a limb here and see if church planting is in is in your future. We said, yes, we'll do that. So we paired up with an organization called Stadia. And Stadia is their tagline. They won't stop until every child has a church. They're focused on reaching people uh, in our country and internationally um, with the gospel, with new churches. Um, So we're working with them. We're working with Riverlawn. But we are an, an autonomous church, which means that we will function independently we will be an autonomous church. Our goal is to be, uh, after uh, three to five years, self-supporting, self-sustaining, um, to where we're able to then uh, continue to, to, to plant churches. Um, and, and I told you a little bit about how we got to uh, Delano and, and, and chose this as, as, as our location. But I want to give you a broader scope. Maybe, maybe you know some of these things, maybe you don't. Because I want each person here, no matter what your future uh, looks like when it comes to the kingdom, I want you to be an integral piece in helping shape the landscape in Wichita. I don't think that's an option, right? Of, the, of, of some of the options that you do have, being kingdom impact players is a big deal. I don't think it's a non-negotiable. I don't think God's saying, hey, sideline season. No, it's... It's moving forward. So here's some things about Wichita. And I get this question all the time. Uh, why plant in Wichita? There are tons of churches in Wichita. They're all over the place. When I drive to church, I pass 20 churches. Anybody in that mode? I get lots and lots of people that ask that question. And it is a fair question. It's not a bad question. But there is a huge reason to plant in Wichita. Here are some of them. First of all, less than 18% of Americans attend church. We have a huge issue in our country between I'm a Christian and I live my Christianity. Those two things are a wide gap. There are 156 million unchurched people in the U.S. 156 
million people who are unchurched in the U.S. There are over, just in Wichita, there are over 500,000 people in the greater Wichita area. And 53% of those claim no religious affiliation. You can check that on citydata.com. Over 500,000 people in the greater Wichita area and 53% claim no religious affiliation. So let's just do the math. That's over 250,000 people in our city that, that would fall in that category. If you put it a different way, if you went the largest cities in Kansas, you would go number one, Wichita, number two, the unchurched in Wichita, and number three, Overland Park. Okay? So that gets it away from statistics and more in line with city size. And that's not just like we're barely bigger than Overland Park with the unchurched. We're like 75,000 people bigger than Overland Park with the unchurched in our city. Listen, can I just be honest? If that doesn't crush you, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with Jesus or church leadership. You've got to check yourself right now. If that doesn't crush you, you've got to check yourself, Christian. Okay? You don't exist. You don't exist in your timeline for you. You exist to reach people that don't know Jesus and share with them that love that Paul hoped he could communicate back in Ephesians 3. That's got to be a come-to-Jesus moment for us because that's grown 20% in the last 15 years. That's an astounding rate. We have got to get with it when it comes to the unchurched. We've got to stop saying this little line, there's, there's a ton of churches in Wichita, so people must be there. No, it's, that's not necessarily true. You get behind the actual physical data, you realize something that's kind of heartbreaking about our city. We've got to be mission-minded. We've, we've got to go, and we are, we are compelled to do so. You have the first generation of kids in the USD 259 who are in grade school right now who come from homes that are more unchurched than church. It means that going to church isn't normal or even really an option. Brady and I have begun mentoring. We've got some people on our launch team, which we have our launch team. If you're on our launch team, you just raise your hand real quick and just do a little quick shake, that kind of thing. Okay, all right. Um, we've got some people that are beginning to do some mentoring there at Franklin, and we, find, we, we found out that Brady's mentoring a, 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 a kid named Damien, and I'm mentoring a kid named Aaron, um, and, and one of the kids doesn't come to school. Like that's, his, that's the problem. He just doesn't come to school. So they're trying to create incentives for, to get kids to come to school. And uh, we, we are, we're like, well, why, why would he not come to school? That's a foreign thought to us. Our parents made us. And if we didn't go, it was something, you know, get a little beat down. That's not true. My parents are great. They didn't do that. <laughs> Sometimes I make up stories. Uh, but their parents, like the mom doesn't care if he goes to school or not. The dad's not in the picture. So can you imagine the church side of things? You don't go to school. You're not really part of a church. 
And what, what does some of these things tell us more than any other? It's something that the church has got to get its head around. It's got to admit. It's got to say out loud. Not just think it, but it's got to say this. Our culture is post-Christian. It's a post-Christian culture. It doesn't mean that the culture hates Christians. That's not what I'm saying. But it is a post-Christian culture where the values of the church do not dictate the values of the neighborhoods. Right? It's what it was about 50, 60 years ago. It's not that way anymore. The church has got to find a new way to influence people. A new way to bring people in. A new way to go and tell people. And the church has to become more mission-minded in its efforts. One of the things that's tough for us is we're tempted to just say, man, let's just create the best Sunday service that we possibly can. Bring the best preaching that we possibly can. The best worship and just attract a bunch of people. But that style of influence for churches has really long gone. And we want to we recruit people who are committed to being mission-minded in their approach to inviting people to the Jesus life. So there's a lot of work in Wichita. But that's a good thing. Because Jesus calls us to be a part of what he's already doing. We just want to get on his sailboat See, he's already going, he's already moving, and that's been evident. If you just talk to us about the stories of ways that we've been able to just come in and get acclimated in the Delano area, we could talk to you for a long time. So much so, we, we uh, started working with a group called Delano United, and uh, it was just a quick lunch, and then the lady who worked there said, uh, hey, we'd love to have you on a TV show. And so we were on a TV show called Mouthy Broads. Um, didn't know that existed, But they brought us on that, and they just wanted to interview us for about 30, 40 minutes about the district church. Just really welcome and open to to what we're doing. And so it's it's, it's a crazy cool thing, inviting us in to help with the St. Patrick's Day Parade. The Franklin School, um, their administration and staff just being so inviting to let us come in and and mentor and do different things in the school district. Um, There's so many areas and ways God is opening doors and helping create a place and a culture for us to influence people in the Delano area. To invite them into a life with Jesus. Not forcefully, but hopefully an attractive one they want to be a part of. As the district church, our, our goal is really simple. We, our, our mission statement is we, in, we, wanna, we exist to invite people to be transformed by the greatest story of all time. We, in, we exist to invite people to be transformed by the greatest story of all time. We want to make gospel-centered disciples. Gospel-centered disciples. And so we ask ourselves, what are the... What are the values of a gospel-centered disciple? There's five for us that we've come with. And and they they go like this. First of all, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Imitating him, mimicking him, becoming more like him. Uh, That's what it's all about. It always revolves around who Jesus is and who Jesus is making us, which is more and more like him. The second thing is that a gospel-centered disciple exists for the world, not themselves. Exists for the world, not themselves. The third thing is we are loved and we will love. We understand that we cannot love God without understanding he loves us first. 1 John 4. So we understand that we are loved and so we will love. The fourth is that people are our greatest resource. We look at people and we see 
potential, we see beauty, we want to help people find their best life with Christ. They're our greatest resource. And the fifth is that we will multiply. That's a little bit about us, a little bit about the district church and our heart behind what we want to do in the kingdom. There's ways that you can help. Not just helping the district church, helping it advance the kingdom at Riverlawn, or helping advance the kingdom at a church that your family's going to go to, or helping advance the kingdom wherever you are and however you are, you are going to do it. But things that you can do to specifically help us, first of all, pray. And pray for two things. Pray for our launch team. They're a crazy bunch of people. And they meet at Milk Float uh, tonight. We meet at Milk Float tonight from 5 to 7 p.m. Pray for us to, to continue to align with what God wants us to do and make us bold to do that thing. Pray for us to continue to make community connections, to connect with people who are strong in our community. We want uh, Alex Gilpin up in Kansas City. He calls these, these people movers and shakers. We want to build relationships with movers and shakers in our community, and we don't hide that fact. Because they're the ones that are involved in influencing people. The, the second thing, and, and this is because I'm a church planter. Everywhere I go, I'm always fundraising, okay? Just, you'll have to get over that one. Uh, but if, if you want to give to us, you can come and talk with us afterwards. Uh, we, we need help financially when it comes to resources. God has provided for us in major ways, but we continue to ask his people to provide and support what we're doing with the district church. The third thing is you can join. You can join what we're doing. You can come and just check out a launch team meeting. I said they're at Milk Float, which is a coffee shop just east of the clock tower. It's between the clock tower and the river. And you can just sit in and see what we're all about. Meet some of the people who are a part of our launch team. Hear about some of our goals and things that we're doing. You can talk to us and just get to know us. If it's your thing, great. You'll know it pretty quickly. If it's not, you'll know that pretty quickly too. So we'd love for you to check that out. But more than anything, we want you to play your role in the kingdom. We want you to do what God's called you to do. We want you to lead people with the passion that Paul had. For people to understand that they'll, that they'll have the strength to comprehend what is the height, depth, width, and love of Christ. Today and always. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and praise you for who you are. We thank you for your guidance. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And Father, it, it, is, it is so good to be with your people. I pray that you'll give us a passion and a heart to reach our city, to build relationships with people that don't know you, who have rejected you, say no to you, or militant against you. We pray that we'll just open our lives to that. Father God, we love you. Your grace is sufficient. Jesus is merciful, and you are good. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us at westsidechristian.org.